Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. And look, baseball's marquee matchups in July, they are right around the corner. And Bet Online's got you covered for prop bets, futures, odds, news, and information, and all your online sports betting needs. So, what are you waiting for? Head to the website right now or go on your mobile device to join and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So, before the next pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming coming into the pod because we are continuing with another installment of our movie pod series but first we got to bring in our guests our first guest coming up right now he always says losers always whine about their best but this guy right here goes home and he fucks the prom queen it is dan sanders joyce hello dan gosh a lot's happened since then Coming up next on a pod, another resident guest of ours. Before he came on, though, he promised that he was going to be waiting in the dark for three days, just waiting for the tides to be right. And trust me, he's got plenty of lead left in the pencil. It is Jeff Meacham. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Joey, I got a question for you. Glass or plastic? Glass or plastic. Because if the winds change, we're all going to die, and you either end up in a glass jar or a plastic bag. Just, Just FYI. I can't tell if you're talking about the movie that we're about to bring up or the trip that you just took with your kids on the road, on the side of the road right now. It can go either way because, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about the 1996 film The Rock, directed by Michael Bay, starring Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, and a host of others. This movie grossed $335 million. It was the fourth highest grossing movie of that year in 1996, which was a crazy year for movies. Made on a $75 million budget, $104 million in the U.S., $201 internationally. Just real quick, the month of June in 1996, we're about to do the where did you watch it and when did you watch it. I already know that I would think I was in a movie theater three days a week during the month of June 96 because this movie comes out June 7th, 1996, the day before on June 6th, The Phantom. June 10th, The Cable Guy. June 21st, Eraser. June 21, Lone Star. June 25, Independence Day. June 26, Nutty Professor. And Dan's favorite. And a future movie pod series, June 28th, Striptease. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Dan, we're going to start with you here first. Uh, Just talk to us. Where were you when you first saw this movie? And you just watched it recently. How does it compare to when you first saw it for the first time? I was 11 years old. Uh, I was in between the, the summer between fifth and sixth grade. Uh, and I saw this with my friend, Brendan Preddy, uh, who was my best friend, the end of elementary school in the, in the middle school. Uh, we snuck it. It was one of the, I, I don't know if it was the first film I saw like by myself with just friends, but it was amongst the first films that I saw, like without parents there, they bought the tickets for us, but they let us go by ourselves. And we felt like such fucking grownups uh, drinking our drinking our Dr. Peppers and eating our popcorns and watching this movie that shook the entire fucking theater to its core. I mean, I walked out of this thing not knowing not knowing where my life was going to go from here. <laughs> I was just like, wow, this is this thing. Th- I, the action in this movie is so fast paced. And so once you get to that action, it's so fun and so fast paced and so high, high energy. I, I, I loved it. I loved this movie. I mean, I still to this day fall to my knees 
whenever I can get my hands on anything green and and signal that we uh, that we've that we've you know we're here and we're alive and we've done the thing. Yeah, this is the first taste of Bay, right? And these action sequences actually like really play and feel relatively fresh. Of course, he does it a thousand more times and it gets a little bit different. Jeff, hop in. First time you saw the movie, was it in 1996? What was the method? And what do you remember from that experience? Well, I'll tell you, my first memory is seeing Michael Bay's Bad Boys. And why I bring that up first is because I was supposed to go see Tommy Boy. And I went with two of my closest friends and we walked into Tommy Boy and we literally walked out. I don't know what was wrong with us at the time, but we hated Tommy Boy. And we're like, all right, let's go see this other movie with Will Smith in it. And I think it changed my life. Like seeing early Michael Bay, you know, I mean, I, listen, we'll get into Michael Bay, but the excitement, it, this leads forward to the excitement I had for The Rock coming out was an all-timer i mean it's up there like i'll nothing will be more exciting to me than going to see cliffhanger i don't know why that was so exciting when i was 14 but now i'm 17 it's summertime and i went to go see this with my girlfriend at the time and i thought it was the best i thought at the time it was the best action film i had ever seen like hands down i really did and then a few weeks later i I can tell you, this is how specific I remember that summer. I saw the 1235 showing of Independence Day by myself. That's 1235 p.m. So by myself, matinee, and I bawled when the first lady died. Bawled. (laughs) Bill Pullman's got some tough choices here. They turn on you so quickly. Um, I'm right there with you guys. So my, my story is I'll never forget. I believe it was I was in fifth grade. It was about to be the summer. And I, I was a big newspaper guy, and there was this huge ad for Bad Boys. And it was Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. It just said Bad Boys on it. And I just I somehow convinced my father to take me to that uh, rated R uh, fuck word fest um, in fifth grade. And he took me to the, like, the 1130 showing. Cut forward to a year later, I'm kind of sort of familiar that it's the same director as Michael Bay, but now I'm like really kind of geared up on it. And I'll just never remember – I'll always remember – this is classic, like, it's hot as balls outside, it's muggy, it's terrible. Same thing with you, Dan. Parents drop you off, and you walk into that movie theater, and it's ice cold. And it's just yes. so, it's refreshing and beautiful. And I don't know what it is, the dark, cavernous movie theater. You sit down in it, and I'll never forget The Rock. I, 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 I'm I with you, uh, Jeff, where I thought it was not only the greatest action movie I've ever seen, I thought it was the funniest I thought it was, it was so funny. So funny at the time. Nick Cage was so offbeat and such a different. I don't need antihero might not even be like the right word, but it was just so hilarious to me this movie, and the yes. thing doesn't stop. My favorite, my favorite little factoid about this movie, is the average shot length is two point six seconds. That makes sense. And if you start Holy to cow. watch the movie again, you're like, wow, they do not linger on a single shot. For longer than three seconds. And yeah. when they do, when they do, it's like in those moments where Connery's with his daughter in that. But even then, like he's always looking over his shoulder and it's camera's like, always moving. Yeah. And I'll never forget the moment when I'm watching this movie halfway through and uh, Nick Cage, I believe he gets off the bike and Sean Connery's gotten away and they give him the bad boy shot. They give him that little fun reversal there. And I'm like, oh, this is my this is my band. This is my speed. This is my genre of music. So let's just let's get the Michael Bay situation out of the way. I'll go first. I will profess to say at this point, I am a huge Michael Bay fan. Yeah, I love all of his movies at this point. I do also like the movie Armageddon. 
So maybe we'll start here, Jeff. When did Michael Bay lose you? Well, I think it has to, I mean, how can it not be the Transformer series just because it kept going with two and three and people were like, oh, I don't really care about this anymore. And then the fact that we even lost, you know, Shia LaBeouf later and it had to be, an, I don't know. I think it was just once the, tra- you, you're right, to go, we got Bad Boys, The Rock, Armageddon, in that, and I believe it's that order before Transformers. Am I right? Yes. You know, you don't get you don't get more, and, and we're all young at that point too. So it's really yeah, hard for me. Per, you missed Pearl Harbor there. The oh, 2001's Pearl Harbor. That's a and, 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 and the island. Well, I love the island. The <laughs> island, which by the way is, I believe, one of if not the biggest uh, flop of all time. It's like a massive flop. But I love the, I've always loved that storyline. You know, I mean, that's obviously, a, that one's been around for a, a while. And our, uh, Dan and I have a, a buddy that's in that movie too. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, and, and he's made good movies. Like I enjoyed Pain and Gain. I thought it was weird and offbeat and totally quirky. And I'm, I'm a total sucker for war films like 13 Hours with John Krasinski. So I don't know, man, I, I it's hard for me. Armageddon. I mean, how many? I think between the three of us, we probably have all seen Armageddon fifty times. So it's like hard to hate him. Yeah. I, so Dan, I want you to weigh on this too. Where the Transformers, Transformers was just loud. I don't even know if it's a if it was a sound editing issue, but it was just loud and dumb and insane. You know, Dan, what what is it for you, or where do you stand necessarily on Michael Bay? Because we all kind of liked his movies growing up. You feel like it was just one of those things where you just kind of naturally age out of it. Or was it also for me too? Is that you get a little bit older, you get a little bit savvier, you kind of begin to realize that Tony Scott is badass, and those movies are the him and Michael Bay aren't that dissimilar, and you yeah. started to kind of like Tony Scott's aesthetic a little bit more. I mean, what was it for you, Dan? Well, I, I'm I'm with all of I'm with the panel here on Bad Boys and that introduction into Michael Bay. I loved bad boys and i still to this day love that first bad boys i think it's a great great movie um and i i i'm i'm with you guys on on um uh, on armageddon i'm with you guys on uh the rock absolutely um i like 13 hours pearl harbor is where he lost me uh (laughs) it's so bad I did not like Pearl Harbor. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, but I'm I'm with you, Jeff. It, and I he got me back with the island. Like I also am one of the few people on the planet, I guess, that kind of really likes the island. I, I yeah, think it's, it's so good. Yeah, I think it's really fun. Um, yeah. At this point, you know, I don't know what he's made. Uh, that he made that Six Underground movie with uh, with what's his name, Ryan. Um, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan. Boy, that movie made less than no sense, and then it was just over. And I was like, was did anything happen in that movie? It was real bad. And and so like, here's where I stand on Michael Bay now is, right now I kind of think of him as the Six Underground and Transformers guy, even though I have so many fond memories from my youth. Yeah. With these huge mega blockbusters that we've been talking about and we're, we're about to talk more about. Um, but I, I don't know these days I'm sort of like, uh, can he do it again? I don't know. Yeah. The thing for me, I, I think about a lot where what's funny about, we're talking about Armageddon. Um, we're talking about the rock and also independence day. Let's throw that in there too. Is there, there's a jingoism going on there that really like locked in with me growing up. Like where I did feel that like, not that I don't anymore, but it's just different because I'm older and mature. But you feel like that automatic, like, go America, go, kind of mm-hmm. Bay really taps into. 
I just sort of felt like I kind of like grew out of that. Like Dan, follow up. Did you ever want to grow up and be a cop? Because I kind of did for a while. And then you grow up and then you start realizing that like, I don't know if it was me smoking weed and listening to rock music, but all of a sudden, you know, cops, I don't want to be a cop anymore. You know what I mean? What was that about? I never, I never really wanted to be a cop because I always thought that cops were sort of nerds, but I did used to really, really want to be a Marine. I was like dead set on being a Marine. I Yeah, I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. I oh, thought being a Navy I, SEAL was the coolest thing in the world. I love the idea of it. Cut to high school, we get a JROTC program, and I start walking by that classroom every day, yelling, like, yelling make love, not war, peace, brother, peace. <laughs> Signing petitions to get them kicked off of our campus. <laughs> and that's the thing is Bay taps into that G.I. Joe kind of vibe that we, maybe, you know, not all boys or not all women go through when they're growing up, but you can go through that phase where, yeah, you like, I don't know. You watch Bad Boys and it just looks amazing. Oh, what a cool life. Drive a badass car, get a big gun, don't play by the rules. Uh, where do I sign up? Dan, hop in. Yeah, and I think to get to The Rock a little bit, I think that he does such an incredible job of like defining patriotism. I love that line that Connery has. Uh, patriotism, patriotism is a virtue of the vicious. But like, I mean, Ed Harris has a real dilemma here. He's fighting for a good cause. He's just he's just in this paradox of like, how do you weigh lives? I think it's actually maybe like the most sort of ethical, ethical drama that Michael Bay has put out there. Yeah, I mean, that and the island are the kind of the two heady pieces that maybe go into sure. And I'm saying that as lightly as possible. <laughs> But there's like there is a real there is a real philosophical question at the basis of the rock. Well, let's dive into some of these major roles here, and then we're going to kind of walk through the movie a little bit. But I want to talk about just performances, and we got to start with Nick Cage, right? Um, a guy who, a what character actor, raising Arizona, guarding Tess. Um, what was the movie where he wins the lottery? I think anything can happen to you. Does yeah. Las Vegas gets nominated for an Oscar? And then what do you do when you get nominated for an Oscar? Oh, I don't know. You rip off The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, <laughs> and City of Angels uh, and Snake Eyes in like three years. Um, eight millimeter. Eight and millimeter. Then eight millimeter. Let's, and, and I wanted to throw this in for what you said, because of course that, that was, again, now you're defining a massive part of my childhood into my adulthood, which was those three films, The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off. I mean, I watched... All three of those, those were immediately bought on VHS and then immediately bought on DVD. And now they are immediately on my computer. So there's no question that those three movies have been a huge part. But let's not forget, he was going to, he was this close from becoming the biggest action star in the world because he did those three films and then he was all set to do Superman. He was, that was in the works. That was, he. they had everything going except there was massive issues with the script. And there's a whole documentary, I guess, about why that movie fell apart. So he was truly on the trajectory to become the biggest action star in the world. And he kind of was because Con Air. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for those four years, he he he's on top. And if you kind of look into his catalog in the 2000s, then that's when he gets into like Matchstick Man and adaptation. He tries to like zig when everyone's getting him to zag while still trying to do crazy movies like uh, National Treasure or whatever and all that other stuff. But yeah, that's a great point, man. The, the Superman Lives doc is amazing. Um, how close they were. Oh, it's it's worth it. Tons of Tim Burton, tons tons of uh, Nick Cage and him in the suit talking about the role, going through like what is, what couldn't be. And yeah, no, it's definitely a really interesting what if because 
maybe that takes him off of the parody train a little bit faster, you know, because now once he does Con Air and stuff, now you're like, all right, well, Nick Cage, this is the Nick Cage action type movie. Maybe the superhero role changes it a little bit. You know, Dan, talk about Nick Cage's performance. And also let's talk about the well-known secret that when Nick Cage got the role, he is imitating Richard Dreyfuss from Jaws. That is his inspiration for the character in this movie. Dan, what's your take on Nick Cage? Boy, I mean, Nick Cage is not a great actor. Let's be, let's. That is not true. That is entirely untrue. Oh, I can't wait to have this discussion. It's not untrue. Nick Cage is objectively not a good actor. Nick Cage indicates, he pushes, he's over most of the time, and then he's under in weird places. He's, He's not a great technical actor. However, he sells everything that he does. I mean, look, the, the movie that he got nominated for an Oscar in Leaving Las Vegas, where he portrays an alcoholic and he's just like chugging from the bottle of alcohol. No, that is not good acting. That is not representative nor presentational acting. No acting teacher on the planet ever would say like, would check off on that and be like, yeah, let's go do that. For whatever reason, maybe it's because he's Francis Ford Coppola's kid. He had he had the ability to get to where he's gotten, and I don't. I, I'm not besmirching necessarily Nick Cage's ability to be a box office draw. He very obviously is, but Nick Cage is not a good actor. <laughs> Period. You just don't like that he talks during sex uh, in that scene. Uh, that he has a whole Nick Ooh. Cage conversation. What Jeff, is he talking about? Oh yeah, those big oh yeah, big titties. <laughs> Listen. Dan and I both go to Dan is sitting in an acting school right now where the motto, the three word motto is dare to suck. And (laughs) this man does not give a shit. He goes for it more than anybody on this planet. I mean, raising Arizona, in my opinion, is the single greatest comedy to ever be made. I absolutely what he did in Moonstruck and we forget about what he did in the eighties. And then he became just a leading man. So he had to do, you know, Firebirds or whatever that, remember that helicopter movie he did? Um, he, he's, he's, he had to become a romantic uh, a lead and what have you. But the character that he creates in The Rock is one of the best characters ever in an action film. I mean, it's wild, Joey. It is. It's a perfect, it's a, this is one of those moments where his style, which Dan is talking about in this movie, converged together and it's perfect. I mean, it's he's seen chewing, and maybe I could just kind of posit that I get it that it's a little over the top, but he has, at the same time, very interesting control. I think he's an excellent film actor in the sense of I think he totally understands the angles, and I think he knows where he's coming from on every single bit. I did do some special features, which we'll talk about towards the tail end because I do have a very funny story, but they show a couple outtakes in Nick Cage, and all these other people are screwing up. I mean, the dude looks prepped like it's a theatrical performance. I mean, he has every single little thing down to a T. Just to push back on it, like the over-the-topness has to have a lot of prep, right? There's a there's a machination to how wild and crazy either his eyes are or his, his eyebrows or even his face. That's exactly the point. Like, to me, that's not acting. That's looking at how something should look and how something should sound. And then... And then executing that thing, like doing the idea of what he thinks it should look like and sound like instead of just being the character and living through the moments. 
but you don't buy it. See, that's the difference is I buy it. Like in that opening sequence, I always give credit to the action film actors because when we used to work on action films and how tough it was for me to take it to, to be serious in a scene, I give like a perfect example is his opening sequence when he's got, when he gets the, the, um, the new vinyl, you know, uh, uh, Beatles thing. And it's kind of funny and goofy. And then he has to go into just total serious action star, sarin gas squirting in his face. Get that out of my face. And I believe every second of that scene, that's where I love his acting so much is that I believe it. I believe that he is really able to do that. How much, how much do you believe it because of Michael Bay's ability to create a scene? I don't know. Because remember, I'm not a filmmaker. Remember, like we've got once that happens, we've got that air coming up out of nowhere. We've got the, the water. Time. We've got the pressure of no water. We've got the pressure. You know what I mean? Like Michael Bay did all that work to set those stakes and to make us go, holy shit, I'm on the edge of my seat. All Nick Cage had to do in those moments was say the lines. And on and with your and going along with you on that one, Dan, somebody in this world of this movie either it was just a perfect storm or michael bay was a genius every single person that he cast was a not just a good actor a great actor the two men that are outside of that booth the the, the actor that's in there with him that's like you want me to stab this in my fucking heart they are everybody's good in this movie i mean philip baker hall is uncredited in this movie I know, I know. he just shows up out of nowhere he shows up there's one guy uh, no, that's a great point, and I think the the his co-star counterpart I think adds some lev- levity to it, which we're going to get to in a second. My final question, though, and this is a movie logic flaw, and this question is directed uh, towards Jeff here. When Nicolas Cage's reaction to the fact that his girlfriend is pregnant, um, how do we still we're we're married, man? You actually have kids. Um, how does this movie go on for another hour and a half? Because he's dead after that reaction, correct? Um, how do you get away with reacting the way that he did when his girlfriend says that he's pregnant? Oh, gosh. I mean, gee whiz. Um, hold on. Let me wrap my hat around it here. <laughs> and then in, if you do remember, it cuts from him saying, not he does not say yes. Will you marry me? He does not say yes. And then their next scene together is them having sex. There's no way on this planet. That's, he just said no because he says I will marry you after that. I, I but the, what another great example of why we love this movie is because their relationship is so quirky and fantastic. She was the prom queen. She's very quirky. Stanley doesn't swim very well. You're you goddamn it. I am coming to San Francisco when he told her not to come. Like there, I love their relationship. And so when she at the end is so worried about her man dying, I believe her. I don't know. I love it. I just love it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. You know, uh, as a '90s kid, she just keeps asking him to have sex, uh, and he's, "I'm busy. I'm busy. Get out of here." I can't have sex with you right now. You, even though you're ten times hotter than I'll ever should have for a woman in my life. Well, we're not going to get off the off ramp of uh, Michael Bay's portrayal of women in his movies. Uh, we're just going to. What do you mean? They're so three dimensional. <laughs> it's so fleshed out. So. Yeah. Uh, you mean Shia LaBeouf could literally be have a chance in high school of getting Megan an Fox. international model? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to do. Uh, we got to get to Sean Connery here, and Jeff, we're going to start with you on this one. I said it on the pre-pod. This was actually the biggest revelation for me rewatching this movie. I was kind of like, oh, I wanted to see how it rides. Is it obnoxious? Do I still love it? All that stuff checked out. Love this movie, but man. I was trying to wrap my head around. 
Sean Connery is like the sexiest old leading man action hero I can honestly think of. I was trying to wrap my head around, I don't know, Clint Eastwood in the line of fire, but he's still grizzled Clint Eastwood, and that doesn't really count. I mean, Jeff, talk about Sean Connery's performance, which is so incredible, and I think also adds a certain levity to Nicolas Cage being out there and crazy because Sean Connery is so fucking good in this movie, it's out of control. I was completely floored to learn that he was 66 in this movie. That was the first thing that floored me. You are 100% right. You asked. You said, is it Liam Neeson? Who is it that holds that candle today? Nobody does. Liam Neeson still looks like he's 55 or 50, so I can't really equate that. Sean Connery does look older in this movie, and at the same time, every woman wants to like is attracted to him we are everybody is attracted to him he is i i did make the revelation that he is absolutely just james bond as a 66 year old he he worked for the majesty service like everything he describes to ed harris you're like are you just telling him that you were james bond oh okay so this is james bond now as a 66 year old staying in uh that you know was once a resident of Alcatraz. He, I, I don't, I truly don't think there was anybody like him. There will never be anybody like him. Uh, his voice is the most unique voice. It has got to be the most uh, mimicked voice anyone's ever done before. Um, he is absolutely. He is the lead of this movie. He is the star in the the poster. It is his face and Ed Harris and Nick Cage are behind him. I mean, that's what does that say? You know, to be able to hold your own at sixty six as the lead of an action film. I don't think we'll ever see anybody like him again. Yeah, the DVD, I watched the original trailers and stuff, and it's all led by Sean Connery. I mean, Nick Cage right. just kind of pops in and up because Nick Cage isn't a big, huge action star at this point. If anything, he's supposed to be, I guess, maybe the straight man in this performance. And, yeah, once Connery puts on that suit, I mean, I was just like, wow, this is a— Oh, that reveal, that haircut fun. reveal. This is a beautiful man. Um, Dan, hop in here and talk about Sean Connery. And also, fun fact, you know, Schwarzenegger was the first person to re- th- that got the script for this role. And he didn't do it because the script wasn't fully fleshed out. I mean, God forbid, in a Michael Bay movie and not being fleshed out. But he just said it wasn't fully baked and all this other stuff. And and he he ended up not doing it. That Schwarzenegger and Cage, I think that's where you go off the deep end. But finding Connery here was was I mean it was fate, and that's why it worked out. Dan, hop in. I mean, hindsight twenty twenty. I cannot think of anybody else in this role other than Sean Connery, right? Yeah, like nobody. I mean, who could who could do this better? Nobody. Um. I, what's to say about Sean Connery that hasn't been said? What what I want to add on to with him being the lead of this movie is he's the lead of this action movie and you don't meet him until 30 minutes into it. Yeah. So he's still, he's the the main draw and he's in, he's in only, not only, but three quarters of the movie, like the rest yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, listen, again, what is to say about Sean Connery that hasn't, the man is, the man is the most interesting man to ever live, right? He's the mm-hmm. Dusecki guy. He he's the what? Yeah, I, I have no. Well, no, Dan, Dan, you said it right there, which is it's. It reminds me of Tom Cruise in Interview with a Vampire, where he's literally in less than half the movie, and it's like his face and Brad Pitt and everybody else is like behind him. It was just he was such when you back in the night. We don't have mega draws like that anymore. He was a mega draw. Well, and to be very fair, he had one of the best hype men in the business, John Spencer. Uh, the whole movie just going, you don't understand this guy. This guy can't oh. trust it. And you're just like, what is this? Who is this? What are we going to see? And, Jeff, you're bringing up such a great point of the James Bond reference is yeah. 
fantastic. I mean, that's what makes this role fit him like a glove, right? And the fact that he tries to maybe reconnect with a daughter that that was lost on the road one night in the States, but he's been traveling the world for forever. And to think this movie is, what, seven years after him playing Indiana Jones's father? You know what I mean? Like the guy yeah, who can't really move anymore, and now he's back in it playing this action role. And then this launches Sean Connery's career where uh, what is he? He's an entrapment, and he's in a book. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Not good movies, but it really launches another, what, fourth act? Entrapment was fun. You're playing both sides, Dan. Catherine, Jones, Catherine Zeta-Jones in a, in a black one-piece? I mean, come on. And I loved League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Nobody liked that movie, and I freaking loved it. And they, I just did a Sean Connery, too. We're 30 minutes into this pod, and that was the first time someone tried to do a Sean Connery impression. Do it again? We've been, you're playing both sides. <laughs> you have any snacks? Any drinks? Uh, snacks? Drinks? Let's move on. Uh, we're gonna play. Uh, we're gonna play a quick game. We're gonna play a quick game here, and then we're gonna talk. You know what? Actually, screw it. I'm gonna cut that, and we're gonna actually talk about. Let's talk about Ed Harris's crew. Um, uh, honestly, a murderer's row of antagonists. Right. I'm just gonna kind of read them off real quick. You got Ed Harris. We all know his career. That kind of speaks for itself. But then, who's on his team? Oh, I don't know. Tony Todd, the Candyman. Uh, David Morse. Who goes on to play um, a thousand of that guy slash asshole slash bad guy slash murderers in movies? Uh, Bokeem Woodbine, an actor who I absolutely love, who's kind of getting another moment right now. Who's the Amazing shocker? Actor. Who's the shocker in Spider Man? John C. McGinley, young dumb full of cum in Point Break, and then Gregory Sporlader. Uh, give him credit, crazy eyed weird dude who I honestly didn't like the first time I saw the movie, and didn't like his line readings when I saw this new movie. But, uh, Dan, open it up. Just talk about Ed Harris's crew. I mean, this is kind of a great, as Jeff was talking about, a great ensemble play of just really good actors in a room, you know, honestly kind of playing a little bit more of a complicated antagonist uh, antagonist part in a movie. They're great. I, I love, um, oh, what, sorry, what's his name? His, Michael Michael uh, Bean? Michael. Oh, Michael Bean. We haven't even got, hold on. Yeah. Wait till we get to the Mar- to the Navy SEALs. Yeah, well, we're just on the Marines. We, you know, we're, we, we're probably going to talk about w- what character would you want to be. Come on. I will not give that order. I will not give that order. Like, sir, yeah. we've spilled the same blood in the same mud. Same mud. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, wait, real quick. What's the other line, too? Uh, if you got to take a piss, he's going to help. Uh, he's going to help. <laughs> I shit you not. He was the greatest battalion commander in the, like, when he says that, I was just like, oh. Uh, it's it, he's he, he's the best but yeah you're right I mean a murderer's row of like just I, you said it earlier in the pod too that everybody in this movie is cast so brilliantly and everybody is so great at their job in this in this movie I mean the the breakdown when, when we relieve Harris of his duties and that guy's like no sir when we stepped on this soil we became mercenaries and mercenaries get paid and I want my fucking money I was like the 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 moral dilemma that this movie provides is a real one like and it's it's a really interesting what is also really interesting to me is the way that this movie looks today like we use terms like patriot in a very different way today than we used patriot back in 1996 and so like taking myself out of watching this movie today and taking myself out of that mental space and like going diving into this 
I, I still think it's a really like interesting moral, philosophical, and ethical uh, dilemma that that Michael Bay proposes in this movie. I, yeah, you're bringing up a great point. I mean, it does kind of hit on some themes of Americans versus Americans, and that's kind of some of the shit we're dealing with a little bit today. And it is not just like you could just say, "Oh, this movie is perfectly cast," but in the retrospect of what these actors went on and the careers that they had, yeah. it's almost like you go back to this time capsule of like all these dudes are in the room, like. You know, that line that you mentioned, Dan, that's the fucking candy man saying that line. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and, and, and just the way that these actors went on to have these great careers. And then you're like, oh, they came back and, and had, you know, this movie together. It's not just perfectly casted, but it also ages so perfectly, too, as well. Jeff, just hop in real quick on uh, the Ed Harris crew. I mean, again, I don't know. We weren't there for the casting process. And there are other films that this has happened. But uh, for our generation and of the action films and the popcorn films, I don't think we'll ever see a cast like this again. I mean, the smallest of small roles were filled with actors that we've seen in many other films and love them in. I, You named them all. I mean, Gregory Sporletter's line of, come on, General, let's be all we can be, is so good. Like, who, he's so good in that said sequence. Any, who said anything about bluffing? who said anything about bluffing is like the moment of the film where you realize that these two guys that came are actually the bad guys now. And the, the idea that Ed Harris's character is a bad guy with morals and what in a, it's just to, to take him and put him into this role where we've got comedy and half the film. Right. I mean, again, I, I cannot get enough of Mar is Marvin Ishwood played by Todd Louise's character, which we'll go back to a little bit. I love him so much. He is so fucking good in that character with two like or three major scenes. But then to go to Ed Harris, who there's an if uh, speaking of so going off of what Dan said, Ed Harris is one of the best actors we've ever had in, in American cinema. And for him to play that role and crush it the way he did, infused with just popcorn action and dumb comedy and fun comedy and zaniness from Ed Harris. And for Michael Bay to find a way to make it all work together and not just be in two different movies. That's why we love this movie. And maybe that's what makes this movie work so well is the antagonist scenes aren't necessarily like him blowing a cigar into a window and being like, it's going to be a hot day in San Francisco or saying some bullshit. <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? It's these lines like, so in the uh, whatever, in the trivia, uncredited screenwriters in this movie, Tarantino and Sorkin. So they both got a chance to doctor this movie. When you uh, we're talking about lines in this movie, I'm going to say it, paraphrase it, but it's the line of, uh, I'm telling this to you as a friend. I'm not going to do that. I'm telling this to you as, as your officer. And I'm telling you as the guy who's pointing a fucking gun at you. You know what I mean? That rapid fire, that exchange with him and David Morse is so awesome and interesting. Oh and when in maybe in moments in other movies when the bad guy's just kind of maybe screaming at his underlings and losing his mind and becoming more unhinged there's actually restraint going on there jeff hop in wait here's something else too is later on in michael bay films especially in pearl harbor every single because he was such a huge director at that point every single character in pearl harbor is played by an extremely famous person right so you've got alec baldwin the president is played by someone that we know in this movie i had no idea who the president was that sequence was fantastic when he's like this is the hardest decision i've ever had to make every general all the generals, that guy with the big uh, Coke bottle of glasses, who is like, come on, you can't talk about that when they're mentioning the slush fund sequence. That's a, I mean, just every actor is their character and we know them from this movie. And that's, I just can't, I can't say enough about the acting in this movie. I, for, for, 
for being a popcorn film, I bought everybody. I, we haven't even talked about the Marines. I'm sorry that we talked about the Marines. But again, like I said, I cannot get enough of the Navy SEALs. They were the best. My favorite line in the entire movie, which I don't have written down, so maybe you do, Joey, is when, um, oh, what's his name? You said that I would mention him, too. Danny Nucci. Daniel Nucci. Yes, Danny Nucci. Danny Nucci sequence, when they say, when, when he talks about what kind of incursion it is, and he's got that little mini monologue before what's-his-face throws up. He goes, oh yeah, he goes, he goes, have you ever seen combat? And he goes, well, that depends. What kind of, what do you mean by yeah. combat? <laughs> Danny Nucci just rips it off. All, what they're it, do. Well, according to that, no. <laughs> Remember he goes, he said something, yeah, exactly. He said something, he's like, oh, thank you. I'll be right back. Or may yeah. I be excused? And then he goes and throws up. And then uh, he also gets the great deadpan line of uh, when uh, Connery rolls through the fire, he goes, where'd you get this guy? You know what I mean? One of those classic 90s one-liners. So let's play the game, and this is going to segue into the the Navy SEALs, the Marine SEALs. Um, I didn't reveal them for you, but this is called Favorite Side Guys. There's a lot of great side guys in this movie, and we are going to pick our favorite side guy and the guy that we would probably most like to play if we were cast in this movie. I'm going to read a bunch of them off to you. If I miss someone, you can obviously pick someone else that might come to mind. So here we go. This guy, I do not know this actor's name, so forgive me. But in the beginning, gas-faced guy who gets the uh, whose face melts, trapped in the thing, and bubbles down and falls down. And we begin to learn how bad VX uh, nerve gas is. That's guy number one. Guy number two, Todd Luiso from Jerry Maguire fame. Miles Davis Jazz. Stick this needle in my heart. Are you fucking nuts? Great line read there. You could be that guy if you wanted to. Next one, Raymond O'Connor, the Alcatraz tour guide. Short scene, powerful scene. Really soft. Yeah, it's yeah, really fun. Listen, a hard, cold cell. Um, Danny Nucci, which is Jeff's dream role. Um, young, dumb, full of cum, bullet in the head. Not a lot of scenes. Uh, there's that guy. Uh, Anthony Clark, the I'm just going to guess the uh, homosexual hairdresser who doesn't very much age very well, uh, went on to Boston Common Fame. The next one, Humvee guy. Um, I don't want to dance or scratches or anything on my Humvee. Uh, when the Hummer's stolen, <laughs> you can be that guy if you want. That to. was a great impression. <laughs> or the final one is, um, and this might be the winner for me, the security guards who get gifted uh, the buffet spread. Um, being the dumb security guard who's like, uh, you know, I'm smart because I'm going to eat free food. I'm not going to do my job. There's free food here. Which role of those would you want to play? What's your favorite side guy from The Rock? Uh, listen, man, I struggle with this. This is, and Dan knows this about me as an actor, is sometimes I might have the face of a, a leading man, but all I want to be is the character actor. And uh, and I'm I struggle with actually like like I Danny Nucci I, I I truly look up to him for what he did because I'm not sure I could do that monologue and anybody would take me serious but my God what Todd Louise is it Louise is that how you say his last name I, Todd I, Louise I get it wrong Louiso 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 Todd Louiso I don't know man what he did as Marvin Ishwood is 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 hands down my favorite side character in this that would be a dream thing to say it's just i love the voice of Re anytime you put in the voice of reason remember when he has to look up where the location is of his daughter remember that sequence that's so fantastic oh by the way that's a good trope in an action film too this guy has had this guy has our our worst secrets 
right? So you've got Sean Connery has got all of our secrets. We have put him away. We have gotten rid of his existence. But don't worry, a couple nerds that work in a chem lab can quickly figure out where his daughter lives in San Francisco while one of them's riding on a moped. That's, it takes, I just love that. A kind of little stuff. Google search on their Apple computer and Glasgow. <laughs> I love that. Glasgow, birthplace Glasgow. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's character work right there. This is dropping a little nugget of where he's coming from. I'll take him. Dan, who's your favorite side guy? I'm going to throw one more person in there. And look, you know, we're we're going to be gender neutral about this. Uh Claire Forlani's friend. Yes, the friend. Is the worst character ever. She's exposition only where he goes uh Sean Connery pops her on the corner and he just goes Claire and she goes, "No, my name is Stacy. I'm Claire's friend." <laughs> Claire's right here. Claire's right behind me. Uh, she doesn't. She just throws Claire under the bus. Throws Jade Angelou under the bus. <laughs> She's terrified. She just needs her friend to be there. Nope, this is her. I gotta go. No, my name is Stacy Weatherford. Um, I don't live here. This is my friend Jade. My friend Jade is right here. It, but I am Stacy. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, sorry, Dan. Uh, favorite side guy. Michael Bean counts. If you want to do Michael Bean, that's fine. Well, I, listen, if I had if I had my choice of like side characters to play, I would love to play Michael Bean for simply that that standoff between him and Ed Harris. I mean, my I just looked at Michael Bean's IMDb and before it the blows Rock, your mind, right? It blows my mind. But before The Rock, there wasn't a t- like he'd done a he'd actually done a bunch, but not like Mike. He hadn't quite like done the big stuff, the big things yet that we know Michael Bean for. Right. Like, oh, no, no. You're totally wrong. You're no, totally he, wrong. He, he, he was in. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, Terminator and Tombstone. Oh yes, 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 yes. Consistently, I feel like in the mill. Go ahead, Jeff. This is before he did The Rock. He was he was uh, Hicks in Aliens, which don't, Hudson and Hicks are two of the best characters ever from that. He's the lead in Terminator. He's You're... basically the lead, right? The Abyss, his character in The Abyss with Ed Harris. Don't forget, he's had two amazing standoffs with Ed Harris. His bat, and he is the Navy SEAL as well. So he plays a good guy Navy SEAL that's got the bends in the abyss. And then literally he does this movie. Oh, K2? Did you ever see K2? Oh, wow, yeah. K2 is such a good movie. And then we can't forget that he's Johnny Ringo in Tombstone. Like his fucking career. And then he just took a nosedive. And all he does now is make B action films that nobody's ever seen. It's the weirdest thing. Well, I, but regardless, I think, Yes, the the role that I would Sorry, want to play. I love no, that's that's okay. I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, the role that I would want to play in this, if I were to have my druthers as one of these side characters, would be Michael Bean. I, Joey, and I I should never have doubted you. Didn't think you were gonna call the VX guy in the beginning who gets his face bubbled up. Uh, <laughs> that I think that's who I was gonna bring. That's who you would be. That's who I was gonna bring to the table. Is like that's who I would be. But yeah, for sure, the guy that actually dies first from the VX gas and like the bubbles and the boils on his face. And then uh, major, what's his name? Just saying, just mouthing. Oh. I'm sorry to him. <laughs> and then the, the and look. That, oh yeah. And the look that Ed Harris gives him afterwards, like, well, this just got real. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> can I also bring up, can I also bring out another action film thing that I love so much because, because in action films, murder just doesn't matter anymore. Right. But now as I'm older and a father, all I do is pay attention to this. So they go into that place, not wanting to kill anybody. And I put that in quotes. The first guy gets a beanbag to the chest that sends him out of a tower and shoots him down 30 feet onto the floor at best he has a fractured spine for the rest of his life the first guy they murder and then from there up they're like no but the rest will just shoot with a dart yeah <laughs> jeff non-lethals jeff jeff non-lethals is it 
<laughs> that man's never walking again. Uh, Dan, follow up real quick. Uh, nerve gas still terrifying, or does it feel like a thing of the past? Because that shit honestly scared me. But then, obviously, we found a whole new set of things to become terrified of over the last 25 years. Well, I have not stopped my fear of nerve gas. I mean, uh, (laughs) let's, you know, like Assad just used it on his own people within the last two years. So nerve gas is still a very real thing. That is a very real threat in in the world we live in today. Uh, And it sounds awful. Like nerve gas sounds awful. I would much rather be trampled by a group of neo-Nazis than I think inhale nerve gas. It's something we wish we didn't invent, sir. <laughs> something we wish we could uninvent. I think. Un-invent. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so this next category, I'm just being, I'm just calling it three purple hearts, two silver stars, and the Congressional Medal of Jesus. Jesus, that guy too. This man is a hero. Uh, let's talk about the cops. Let's talk about the Marines. Let's talk about the good guys. Because, again, the ensemble is just as thick on the other side. I mean, God, John Spencer, we already dropped. Uh, Phil, Phil Baker Hall drops in there. Willem Forsythe. Um, Jeff, just just hop in on, on that side. I love a good, like, I love a good uh, war room scene where everyone's got opinions. I love the young. Michael Bay loves a young smarmy guy in the room uh, who thinks his nose is shit and then some sort of. Big wig comes in and like shuts him down. And it's talk about your love for, for the Marines. So it's amazing. This is why we all love this movie so much is you've mentioned his name for a few times, but we haven't even talked about John Spencer as the best character in this movie. Like he's for the first half of the movie, he set, he is the hype man. Like you said, he hypes up this entire movie. Boy, does he make Sean Connery's character seem like the most badass in the world. That voiceover sequence when we first meet Connery, when he is, he looks yoked. I wonder what his workout uh, regime, because he must have worked out for this movie unless they used fantastic body doubles for Connery. But John Spencer as the best character in the movie, I, I'm, I'm putting it up there and I'm, I'm wondering if you can find someone better. But wait a minute, I do. Because William Forsythe is a fucking revelation in this movie. If you all remember, he is also Nick Cage's friend in Raising Arizona. Oh, so yeah. There's, there's John Goodman, and he's the one that says, sure, I ja. And he's like the super character one when he's like eating the, 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 the food in the house. He is such a character in that movie. Now, here he is, gruff with the mustache. He's the one that goes and consoles him after he throws up. You got to keep your mind on what's happening out there. Like, he has the great, first you wanted a, a gun, and now you get a... Oh, no, no. Remember when he says, he's like, what do you got, a goddamn squirt gun or something like that? (laughs) I mean, William Forsythe, to me, even though I love John Spencer in this movie, John Spencer, which, by the way, my father always uses the word cocksucker. No one says it better than John Spencer when he holds up his arm to him. Cocksucker! Like... He's so good. I I think the two of them are the best. Who's better? I don't know. You guys tell me. His, his S's are incredible. And yeah, William Forsythe is like um he's like Mickey in the corner for Rocky. He's the coach for Nicolas Cage in this movie to the point where and he's so good in it too, where Michael Madsen's like on the phone being like, Why didn't I get a fucking phone call on this one? Like, where was I on that one? Um, Dan, hop in on just the FBI, uh, the G Men, the G Men ensemble in this movie. Yeah, uh, real quick before I get into that, I do just want to maybe start a debate offline with Jeff on the ability to say cocksucker and who does it best. I would put Ian McShane up there as Al Swearingen 
with his ability to say cocksucker, and I don't know if anybody can match it. Deadwood. Oh, that's the Deadwood character, the show that never made any sense, and I don't, I can never follow that movie. <laughs> I always wanted, I always wanted to be a cool Deadwood person. Here's two movies that I'm not, or two shows that I'm not cool enough: Deadwood and The Wire. Both of them I started, and both of them I was like, I get it. Uh, and then so it's just too much. Next, so I, I watch. Uh, he's gonna rep Carnival in the next breath here on this one. So. <laughs> <laughs> I watch I watch the why I watch the entire series of The Wire usually about once a year. That's my favorite TV series ever created. It's um, amazing. I, I can't I, do it though. I think Deadwood is the second best series ever created. Uh yeah, you're also very intelligent. And I you if you want to look at my DVD collection, I'm pretty sure we can see the difference between you and me. All right. <laughs> Listen, I the G-Men, the G-Men were all great. I think we've talked about how everybody in this movie was played their part perfectly and that we know a lot of people that came out of this movie from this movie we think of them in these roles as like these are the places where I met a lot of these people I think my favorite is who I believe is playing the chief the joint chief of staff not the chief of staff or the president um but the joint chief of staff the the head of the chief of the joint chief of staff who the always does this move yeah the glasses and always does this move Hey, uh, John, we, uh, <laughs> uh, how's it going? Uh, we need more time. Yeah. He's the bad guy in lethal weapon three. He's also the bad guy in mask of Zorro as well. Yeah. Wow. Good pull. He had a good run. He had a good run. Yeah. I I'm blanking on the actor's name, Dan. That's a great call. Yeah. Uh, how's it going? How's it going there, Frank? Yeah. Uh, we need a little more time. Uh, <laughs> he's great. You just don't make up. They don't. I, I think that's something that's missing from today right is those kind of guys that's the thing we just don't have them like that anymore. or even or even so like the time and space to feel like that we can give those smaller characters like some color you know what i mean like a little bit of yeah. some depth and allow them to kind of i don't know just sort of like breathe a little bit where stuff gets yeah. really rapid fire you know what that's that's not fair of me to say because like they are out there. We just don't get like, I guess Sicario had it a little bit. Remember Sicario had characters where you're just like, why is everybody in this movie the best actor ever? Like you just, there's just every once in a while we get movies like that, where it's like top to bottom, the one liners. Again, I go back to Philip Baker hall saying, I got to get up three times a night to piss. And, and like, it's the best moment. Like, hit the streets, John. Yes. <laughs> 30 years ago, he was a British spy. Now he's my age. <laughs> It's such a good sequence, though. You like that, that scene was actually there's an extended cut scene where Philip Baker Hall goes on and he goes, "I eat dinner at four o'clock and I have to take five pills every single day: one red one on Monday, one blue one on Tuesday. <laughs> like I've got a bad knee, I got a shitty hip. Uh <laughs> Look at this finger! Look at this finger! I can't straighten it! I can't straighten this finger! <laughs> Try! I dare you! What? Too many pulls? <laughs> That's what happens." I try and make my grandkids happy. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a great point. I think of a movie like Zero Dark Thirty. That's another movie where it's heavy. On, but every single person in that movie is just an amazing actor after actor. Uh, just got a couple more things, and then we're going to get out of here on the 1996 film The Rock. Let's hit this one really quick because it's kind of funny. Like, do you guys have a bad a favorite action sequence? You know, there is the one. The big scene obviously is. And the one that goes into Hollywood lore is the chase scene, the car chase scene, which was actually shot after the film was made because I guess there wasn't enough action in a movie that cut every 2.6 seconds. So they had to go back and shoot this car scene. And I just want to get it right. In the chase scene, 
the the classic trope of trying to avoid civilians and things in the way. This is the list, guys. Um, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage have to drive through utility workers, a water jugs truck, parking meter car, old lady on a walker, guy taking shit in the middle of the street, a uh, San Francisco trolley, handicapped basketball players, and only one of those isn't real. So I will let you decide which one possibly isn't real on that one. Uh, Dan, hop in. Is there a favorite action sequence? Because I kind of like the non-action sequences are all my favorite in this movie. Is that my age or does that say something about the movie itself? That's a really interesting question, Joey. Uh, I like that question. Listen, I like the homage that Bay pays to the French Connection in that car chase scene. Uh, You know, we've we've got, and what I think is he elevates it because he puts it in the hills of San Francisco, right? So... We've got these wonderful like cinematic homages to that I didn't know about when I saw this movie in 1996. Uh, But looking back on it today and having a little bit better of a breadth of knowledge of of film, that's cool to watch. Uh, The guy taking a shit in the middle of the street, I believe is the one you threw in on us. Bing, 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 that's correct. Uh, I could (laughs) have, but I just Uh, mentioned the guy shitting going, what? But I did find find the paraplegic basketball players to just be so out of left field and so hilariously funny at the time. I was like, what was he thinking when he called up second unit and was like, all right, let's get the wheelchairs going. Um, It was a naked gun moment. But I, I, I think, you know, we love the uh we and i'm with you joey i like the non-action elements of this movie but he does such a great job at putting the stakes up so high in those non-action moments and creating such tension that we need those action moments because they do give us a little bit of a release valve for the audience to be like okay let me breathe into something a little bit here which is crazy to say that you're breathing in during the action moments Kind of taking a break when uh, Nicolas Cage shoots the Candyman with a rocket uh, through a window. You know, you're kind of right because it's the one-liner. Uh, Jeff, you're the rocket man. Jeff, do you have a favorite action scene or are you kind of on board with like, man, I mean, all my favorite scenes are kind of maybe not the action-oriented ones. Yeah, my favorite scene is actually a perfect hybrid scene of what you're talking about. It's got a bit of action and some great acting in it, which is the morgue sequence. I think the morgue sequence is is hands down the best one Um it starts off with the are probably one of our favorite things about you know Carla being the prom queen and that's such a great moment between the two of their characters and it's they, that's just when they when they just decided to work together which oh, by the way the tunnel sequence between the two of them is fantastic when he turns the gun back on them and uh, you know and it's like right after the seals get murdered but I love the morgue sequence the fight is amazing when he throws the knife hits him in the throat and then he says you must never hesitate that is nobody can do that like Sean Connery. And then the sound of those guns when they're firing at the other guy shoots him in the feet, right? And then hold on one second. This is another great action thing that I love so much. When somebody, a trained military operative who has the best training on the planet in the Marines, doesn't quite have the time to take the pin out of the grenade to throw it because Sean Connery has to spend at least 700 bullets to shoot an air conditioning unit that needs to then land on his head, which then leads into the great sequence with the twitching foot, which leads into the great monologue that that uh, Nick Cage talks about. You know, all this pearl string com- configuration really lets us know how unsafe the gas is. Which is such a great scene because it's the role reversal, right? Where Sean yeah, that's right. all the steps, he's the macho man and he's the alpha in this. And then Nick Cage becomes the alpha. And Sean Connery actually legit plays this thing like, yes. I've seen a lot in my life. I haven't seen this, and maybe you're kind of 
getting the vibe that Sean Connery's scared for half that second, which is such That's a, a great game. call. It is. Like they, they flip it a little bit. Yeah, that is such a great juxtaposition for their two characters right there. That's a word, by the way, I cannot say well. I'm not even sure if I used it right. Um, to go quickly back to the car chase sequence, which is easily the dumbest on the planet. Um, another movie to mention, Dan, is Bullet. Uh, uh, what's his, who's, who's the, um, I can't believe I'm forgetting it. It's Steve McQueen's Bullet in the 1970s has a famous, famous car chase sequence in San Francisco, which was realistic. I cannot stand, again, as a teenager and a 20-year-old, I never thought about this, but now as a father of two at 42 years old, vehicular homicide in movies is the most ridiculous thing on the planet. None more than Fast Five. The final sequence in Fast Five, where they murder at least a thousand people through the streets of Rio de Janeiro. This is not Michael Bay's best chase sequence. That is in Bad Boys 2. If you remember the Bad Boys 2 car chase sequence on the highway, where just giant like metal pipes are flinging all over the place, that one is his. That's like his creme de. He loves it. I mean, Michael Bay loves a car chase sequence. I mean, he the island. The island has a fantastic one where they're actually on some kind of weird motorcycle thingy and that's like he, he has to put it in his movies so you got to deal with it yeah he loves all the shots like from the wheels that wheel that wheel perspective stuff and yeah, yeah. That's funny that is like that is something that he does very often in his movies kind of like a, a like a, a calling card as, as it has to be well as being incredibly loud action-driven movies special features probably you can find it online the coolest part that i found out about special features was one um, there's a thing called outtakes, which I mentioned previously with Nick Cage actually, you know, just c- incredibly being on top of his shit all through the outtakes. The outtakes is only nine minutes long. Six and a half minutes of it is Ed Harris losing his goddamn mind um, <laughs> because uh, it's just him and his outtakes. And it's him just because he's got so many scenes where he's right into camera. And some of them are really fast, and it's the one scene where he's like, you know, who am I speaking to right now? Well, I don't think you know what the fuck you're talking about. I was running blah, blah, blah out of China when you were just in ninth grade and all this other stuff. He's trying to do this, the scene, and he keeps messing up. And if you want to look it up online, everybody, you should definitely check it out because he's he's he gets the line wrong. He slams the phone down five times. Michael Bay's screaming at him just like, you know, man, just keep on doing this. He's like, yeah, I got it. I got it. And then like he's just walking around and then he rides back into it. He screws it up again. He goes, ah, he's like, he's screaming. It's really incredible. And it's just kind of fun for like an actor like me. Cause when I'm on set, like I just want to get the take correct. You know what I mean? And if I <laughs> correct, I shrink inside. But for him, he's such a famous actor that when he screws up, it's not about shrinking. It's just about just be louder. Be the loudest person in the room. Be the most upset. Cause no one else will say shit to you. And then you can go back and do it. Dan, hop in. Yeah, I, I, and I, I won't tell this story because it's not mine, but I will relay my reaction to this story. The friend that Jeff was talking about earlier, B-Step, met Michael Bay actually on a commercial that he was shooting and Michael Bay was directing and couldn't get this thing right, couldn't get this thing right, couldn't get this thing right. Bay just kept like sending it back and sending it back and sending it back. Let's go to one, let's go to one. Finally, B-Step was, got super pissed and like went way over the top and they do the scene and Michael Bay goes, no, just put the keys in her hand or whatever it was. And Stepanek looks to him and goes, you mean like this? And takes the keys and slaps them in the girl's hand and goes like that. And Michael Bay was like, yeah, kind of like that. And now Michael Bay puts him in every fucking movie that he ever, that he ever produces. Wow. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's like, paying homage to our friend Brian Stepanek. Look up Ed Harris, the rock outtakes. It's almost the exact same story. I'm sorry, Jeff, hop back in. 
no, 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 it's fine. I really am fascinated to see this. And I I think we all, again, as actors, love, like, wouldn't that be amazing to have that ability? You see Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker doing that, too, where they got to work through some stuff to get these scenes right. And you're right. All of us are just like, did I hit my mark correctly? Am I loud enough? Is, can you hear me? You know, so I get that completely. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Thank everybody. I love you. Thank you. Like, but you know, when you get to that level and, you know, I mean, he's either, like, upset with himself or he's upset with the moment, and then he gets it wrong a couple of times. You can tell he's really spinning in his own head, and he just starts trying to destroy this phone, you know what I mean? And it just, Michael Bay just kind of lets him work through this process. All right, guys, one more game. Uh, this is a little off the board here, but also in the special features, I watched a quick thing on Alcatraz, which was pretty rad. Uh, the long short of it is, and it's in the movie, about how Alcatraz has been built and built over again and over, and, and the, the, the tunnels are labyrinths and everything. This is obviously completely true because back in the day, Alcatraz, the island, was originally a lighthouse. And then after that, in the Gold Rush era, they created a military base to help foreign invaders and pirates from coming in and stealing the gold from them. So it turned into a military base. And then it turned into Alcatraz as a rehabilit the first version of a rehabilitation center. And then eventually it was too expensive because they had to run it 24-7 on this island. So then it only turned into inhabiting the 50 to 70 worst criminals that we have on the planet earth on this one island. So here's what we're going to do guys. Um, I asked you guys to come up with your character name, the crime that you committed and the type of role that you would play. If you were cast in an Alcatraz movie, that's going to be coming out in the next year or so from the 1950s or sixties, you know, I came up with a couple of options here, so I'm going to get it started. And then I might throw in my, the one that I like the most here, but the first one that I came up with, uh, was Boone's Farm. That's my name, Boone's Farm. You're like, wait a second, is that the wine? No, no, no. Boone's Farm came first, and then they created the wine. Uh, toilet wine, sommelier. What did he get busted for? He got busted for bootlegging. But, you know, he's got a niche. It's a niche thing. I'm not in the movie a whole lot, but obviously when you want to celebrate, like, you know, it was his 10th year anniversary, and Boone's Farm came through with the finest toilet wine you've ever had in your life. That's the kind of role that I'd want to play in this particular movie. Uh, Jeff, do you want to go first? Who's your character in this Alcatraz movie that we're that we're spitballing and brainstorming for right now? Well, Joey, uh, just like I usually am, I did not do that at all, and I'm just going to make it up right on the spot um, because I just like to see where my mind goes. And for some reason, uh, this phrase came to my mind. So uh, my name is uh, John the Sperm Whale Smith. Uh, they call me the Sperm Whale because of two reasons. One. I, uh, I did, I was out at the high seas for an extended period of time where I did illegally murder whales. That was, that's very just on, on point there. But the sperm part, I think where we know that comes from, uh, might have had a little bit of troubles when he went into port, uh, might be wanted in most of what he did over there to uh, some of the people. We'll just keep that vague. So they called him the sperm whale. He was, uh, he had, boy, was he, 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 he was supposed to be one of the first people ever executed on uh, Alcatraz. I don't know if you know that, that uh, no one was ever executed there. I have no idea if that's true, but the sperm whale was supposed to be executed, but uh, a faulty uh, uh, electric chair left half of his brain paralyzed, mind paralyzed. And so forever, he just kind of walked around the island like this forever. And he was like, I'm the sperm whale. So, uh, <laughs> this is like a half Anthony Hopkins in Legends of the Fall, um, half meets um, like Johnny Depp's character in Pirates of the Caribbean, like a Jack Sparrow kind of guy. 
last night when I was doing research, for some reason, I have so many notes here. I wrote down Legends of the Fall for some reason, too. I don't know where the combination was in this, but I did just also notice, by the way, you did bring up the labyrinth underneath. Can we also just talk about that the uh, the underground train sequence looked exactly like Temple of Doom, just in different colors? Yep. Like, it's the same thing. I blanked. I completely blanked that sequence out of my mind, too. I completely forgot that that was even in the movie. To be honest, yeah, it's how John C. McGinley violently dies, like violently, violently dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Jeff, I love your character. Uh, one of the ones that ended up on my cutting room floor was a guy named Rickety Spricketts, um, friend of rats, and uh, used to rob people of wooden legs. So that's not the one that I'm going with. But you know, you're not you're not far off. We're all on the same page here. Rickety Spricketts over there, Dan. Uh, do you got a character name? crime that was committed a uh, little backstory for your character in the alcatraz movie yeah uh well we all <laughs> apparently are sort of on the same team here because my name would be danny shanghai and uh i was known for kidnapping people and putting them on boats so uh, <laughs> some of some of jeff's crew probably came from this guy nobody's put more people on boats than danny shanghai I was going for the same vibe too, where like the weird colloquialism or whatever, like someone got Shanghai actually came from a character that you would actually play in the movie. Yeah. Um, mine is, um, I just well, the, real, the real one that I wanted to go with, I wanted to go with a one word name guy. Um, I'm not really this by trait, but uh, this is my fantasy. So I'm going to play the tough guy. Uh, his name is Harbinger. Just <laughs> that's his name, Harbinger. Uh, that's scary. Kills people with his fists over the dumbest reasons. So when you've got the scenes in the cafeteria, Harbinger walks by and they go, well, I heard he killed a man, you know, because he didn't say God bless you after he sneezed or some dumb <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? And like, he's kind of like this uh, mercurial mythic figure, but maybe towards the end of the movie, you begin to realize that either maybe that wasn't true at all, like James Earl Jones at the end of The Sandlot, or maybe it is true. It's worse than you think. And he actually harbinger does have the might that's going to get him out of alcatraz that's what i that's what i got there for that one hey joey joey let's cut the chit chat a hole also, it, it, comes, it comes at the greatest time where he just does this real big solid for connery right where he just does yeah. this huge thing where it saves his butt a little bit and then connery's like thank you and instead of going yeah no worries hey let's just cut the chit chat a hole also my other favorite can i just put this one in FBI, freeze, sucker. <laughs> well, I guess the thing was uh, Nicolas Cage refused to swear in the movie, so he thought it'd be fun if he did G-Wiz and A-Hole and, and frickin' and all that stuff. And um, this was the 1996 film The Rock. We got to get our final thoughts in, guys, or any maybe final lines that we didn't get a chance to actually say um, in this movie. Um, but obviously, we had a great time. This was an awesome action film. It stands the test of time. Probably is the best Michael Bay film if you look it up, it's actually the highest rated Michael Bay film of all time. Oh. Metacritic, Rotten Tomatoes, um, Roger Ebert loved this movie. This is actually a critical success for Michael Bay, so hats off to him. Uh, Jeff, final thoughts on The Rock? Sure, Joey. It uh, brings me to another question. You broke out. Let me see if I can get this straight. You went down the incinerator chute, on the minecart, through the tunnels to the power plant, under the steam engine, that was really cool, by the way, and into the cistern through the intake pipe. But how in the name of Zeus's butthole did you get out of your cell? Just wanted to leave it with that. The best monologue of all time. Gosh, Jeff, I love history, too. And maybe afterwards we can stop at the gift shop. But I don't know. Maybe not. I just want to find some rockets. 
<laughs> Dan, uh, final thoughts or quotes? I mean, I think they were just doing quotes at this point. But yeah, final thoughts on the movie The Rock. I, I have nothing more to say than I already have. I mean, this movie's great. Uh, I, I still think Bad Boys has uh, the softest spot in my heart for Michael Bay films, but this one is, uh, if not right on par, a very close, very close second. And follow, uh, follow up to you know, just your thoughts real quick. I guess there was a proposed sequel, and the proposed sequel ooh. was Nick Cage uh, and the microfiche. Um, so the, they find out that he has the microfiche, and the government goes after Nick Cage, and now he's on the run, and he has to unearth Sean Connery one more time, who's living off the grid, and they have to survive to keep the secret safe. Dan, are you going to that movie? Uh, yeah. Opening day with the both of you, oh. I would hope. Oh, God. And just the tagline underneath just says, because I take pleasure in gutting you, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another one that we talk about. Is that not the best unmade sequel of all time? That's a great idea. I mean, I don't know if you can do it, The Rock 2, back to Traz, but, I mean, maybe you could find some other, like, is it at Niagara Falls or something or some other really interesting American landmark, Grand Canyon? Well, he kind of, how about this? Let's all take comfort knowing that he kind of did make that in National Treasure 1 and 2, because that is kind of what National Treasure 1 and 2 is. It's all that, like, who killed this person and who really did this and... You know, so I'll say that. It could be uh, The Rock 2 under the microfish. (laughs) Joey, don't worry. I'm just going to get into my Volvo. It's a beige one, and I'm going to drive home. (laughs) This is the 1996 film The Rock, joined by Resident Movie Podcast. I'm so happy to see them. I'm glad they're having a great summer with great facial hair. It's Jeff Meacham and Dan Sanders-Joyce. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming back on the pod. This episode of Bet on Chicago with Joey Christopoulos is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Make sure you go on your mobile device and sign up because it's a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So make sure you check that out. Thank you so much for listening to this pod. we got plenty more coming your way the rest of the month. Bear season is right around the corner, so stick around. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. And remember, when in doubt, always Bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.